welcome to the Kano Wins Podcast, Volume 6, Issue 270. It's all about Tetris. You can play along with us. Volume 6, our next few shows include the Double Dragon series. That's part one of two. Uh, later in the year, we'll be looking at some of the more recent uh, remakes and reboots, but that will be uh, the next show will be focusing on the original trilogy and a couple of spin-offs. Following that, it's a JRPG. Yep, Tales of Vesperia gets the Kano Rinse treatment. After that, it's the classic Robotron 2084. Then we start our long-awaited series of The Witcher with The Witcher. And then it's Beautiful Joe, which uh, might not take long to complete in theory, but it's that difficult. You might want to start working on it now and play it on kids mode, not adults. Don't be crazy unless you're really good at it, in which case we'd love to hear from you uh, in correspondence. Head to com for articles, features, reviews, and the links to everything we do, forum, Facebook, YouTube channel, all that stuff. You probably haven't, most of you haven't, but check it out. Seriously, if you like this, do so. And if you enjoy all that we do, mainly the podcast, but also all that other stuff, you can support us. We have a Patreon. Uh, you can donate a dollar a month or whatever you think. Patreon.com slash And we are currently, as you may be aware, we've announced a campaign that if we can hit a target of $3,000 a month by mid-November this year, we'll be doubling the number of Cane and Rinse podcasts we make next year from 50 to 100. So we'll be able to cover twice as many games and you'll get twice as much entertainment. So if you haven't already, please do consider going over to patreon.com, seeking out Cane and Rinse and donating a dollar. We've already had a fantastic response to uh, the announcement of that campaign plenty of you have donated but we need a lot more to hit the target so do consider that thank you very much uh, you could also buy a t-shirt or a bag which also helps bring in a few coins at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash rinse good quality merch and don't forget you may not have checked out our other podcast, Sound of Play, but uh, it's uh, every bit as cool as this one. And uh, we listen to video games music. We also talk to composers, uh, rotating hosts with me and Ryan, and uh, loads of your regular favourites from the Kane Rinse team, as well as, uh, as well as special guests from the community and beyond. Please review, rate and subscribe to both podcasts, Kane Rinse and Sound of Play on iTunes or wherever else you get it from. Thank you. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 270... Ah, Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Carl Moon. Hey, guys. And welcome back, Leah Haydu. So I'd just like to point out that we're actually breaking our own rules for this podcast, because I don't think any of us have beaten Tetris. <laughs> You're sort of right there. Um, uh, that, that is a good point, because it, it is technically possible. But as we'll hear later, uh, only a few people in the world are actually capable of, of maxing out either of the kind of the most uh, hardcore versions. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a very m- middling, mediocre Tetris player, but uh, but I've been playing it for 30 years, so uh, I'm going to I'm gonna say I qualify. But yeah, <laughs> good point. Right, that's the end of this uh, Kane Ritz on Tetris in that case. Uh, Hayes Redmist from the forum says, nothing in gaming compares to the desperation of the line piece arriving when you were almost, almost out of space. I love this game. The word timeless is used far too often in gaming nostalgia, but this is the best example of a genuinely timeless game that I can think of. So we are going to try to cram in discussion mainly about the different versions, uh, maybe a bit of game theory or what we think about uh, how Tetris works on us. Um, 
there is, of course, uh, an amazing story to be told about the the rights issues, uh, and it kind of still goes on to this day with licensing and sub licensing causing issues as regards to releases in different territories and the Game Boy version being removed from Virtual Console and so on. Um, but in terms of the original story regarding uh, how the game was made in Russia by uh, Elorg for the Electronica 60 uh, under behind the Iron Curtain in in uh, Soviet in the Soviet Union in 1984 um, there is a, a a famous TV documentary called Tetris from Russia with Love which was made by the BBC some years ago it's freely available on YouTube. I recommend checking that out. And there's also a book called Game Over, How Nintendo Conquered the World by uh, David Sheff. And it has two full chapters on the licensing issues and surrounding uh, the surrounding story regarding Hank Rogers and Bulletproof Software and Nintendo and Robert Maxwell from Mirasoft and all that sort of thing. So rather than spend too long uh, trying to pick the bones out of that, there's, there's a lot of resources out there for you to go and uh, just soak all that stuff up. Uh, so Tetris, as you probably know, has been ported to pretty much every platform. Uh, so we can't talk about every single version, certainly not those available for you know, graphic calculators. Uh, there's mobile phone versions, of course, media players, PDAs, uh, uh, and even um, as an Easter egg on some non-media devices like oscilloscopes. Uh, there are, uh, there's been some celebrity fans outed or outed themselves over the years, including uh, singer-songwriter Lloyd Cole of Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, uh, Mike Tyson, Ezra Koenig, Bam Margera, Olga Kurylenko, Vivi Brown, Sir Patrick Stewart, uh, to name but a few. Anyone know any others? Te- celebrity Tetris fans? No. Uh, so the Tetris company claims, uh, and this was uh, on the game's 30th anniversary of, of its original version in uh, 2014, the Tetris company claims that it has sold 186 million copies uh, over the last 30 years. Uh, I imagine we could add a few more onto that now. Uh, and when you factor in the myriad unofficial knockoffs, clones, public domain versions and whatever else, uh, it's just it's incalculable the amount of people who have played tetris or a variant thereof so my first question to the panel we're doing our histories and things a little differently as we go along uh have any of you guys ever experienced what is known as the tetris effect or tetris syndrome uh, which is the sensation of mental images or dreams based around the the activity that you've been doing the game the tetris slotting the tetris blocks in your mind when you've been come away from a large session of tetris I, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think that um, it, it's probably something that a lot of people have um, experienced, particularly if you work in any kind of um, retail or anything where you're dealing with a lot of like stock and things that need to be fit into uh, into sometimes limited amounts of space, just getting boxes and things and just almost involuntarily having that little flash of well you know if i if i have a long box it can go down here and then you know it'll it'll all be in the same line and i've never experienced it with tetris um but a similar effect i had it with 3d uh, or polygons drawing uh, quads around the world that i was living in trying to make up everything because i was doing so much of it at university and it was a really strange sensation and it drove me mad um, the only effect I've ever had from a game I uh, mentioned back in the uh, Viva Piñata episode, which was a series of nightmares based around those games for a couple of nights, but never never Tetris itself. Thank mm. God. 
<laughs> I I think I've had um, Tetris-inspired dreams where the focus very much was let's make like let's make order out of chaos. Let's like mm-hmm. put all the milk in the. F- I, I have weird dreams. <laughs> um, like I had a bunch of milk ca- milk cartons that needed to be fit into a fridge, and they're all different shapes and sizes and. Like a lot of stuff like that, so it wasn't you know one to one, a bunch of cube shapes I, I was dreaming about. But there's certainly like a theme of kind of taking something chaotic and turning it into order and getting a weird satisfaction out of that. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've certainly had it from <clears throat> Tetris in the past, not for many years because I haven't played Tetris regularly and for long periods, probably since late 90s early 2000s but um but obviously that was already some way into the uh, into the timeline of tetris and and i do remember that I've, and it is something i do get from other games when i get into playing them obsessively so it's a real it's certainly a real thing anyway and um yeah it can it's not only tetris that causes it but uh, i think tetris was uh, one of the first games where a lot of people became aware i suspect some people had it from space invaders and things even before that but uh, yeah uh so the main man responsible for the coding of uh Tetris in the first place is uh, famously Alexei Pajitnov. Uh, there were other people working with him, but he is he is credited as the man who had the inspiration for the game, uh, based on Pentominos, of course, only with four bits, hence Tetra. Uh, the first uh, versions that I was conscious of, and we'll talk a little bit more about them, but I just want to go through some of the games that were actually released and called Tetris. Uh, and, well, semi-pseudo official at least. Uh, the early earliest versions I was aware of were the uh, Commodore 64, Amstrad CPC and ZX Spectrum versions. Also came to Amiga and ST. Uh, under extremely dubious license and sub-license uh, from Robert Maxwell and Mirosoft, who uh, had... Allegedly, I, I say allegedly, I think this is part of the story. Uh, he had tried to arrange a meeting with Gorbachev, the, the Soviet supremo, to try to buy the rights to the game, but that hadn't succeeded. So he ended up sublicing them from somebody else. Um, you know, this was a state Soviet state product, um, but it, they ended up getting the games programmed. Basically, they, they knew the concept. They they understood how the fundamentals worked. And uh, I think Rowan Software was one of the teams involved. Also Spectrum Holobyte. Um, and yes, I remember uh, ex-girlfriend of mine had a copy of the original MS-DOS version um, with the very uh, Russian heavy packaging with the Cyrillic uh, R, which actually isn't an R. It's a different sound, isn't it? Um, but they went down the whole uh, red square uh, uh, Kremlin route on the box and all the, all this stuff. So uh, I think it even had a sticker on it that said something along the lines of uh, so addictive it's been banned in Russia and all this kind of thing. Um, but yes, apparently they didn't actually really have the rights to uh, to release it. Um, and yeah, that's a saga that kind of carried on. Uh, of note, the MS-DOS version, I'm, I can't remember if the uh, t- uh, ST Amiga or Apple versions had uh, this, but there was a boss button so you could uh, stab a key, uh, one of the keys you weren't using. And it would bring up a kind of generic, like mainframe looking, you know, mid to late 80s kind of spreadsheet or something like that to uh, to disguise the fact that you weren't you weren't working. Uh, Another (laughs) element of note was the soundtrack, uh, particularly on the Commodore 64 version, because although I think it was interpreted on the other 8-bit versions, uh, the 
the soundtrack on the C64 version by Wally uh, Beben, I believe, is 25 minutes long. It's the most extraordinary ambient uh, Commodore 64 piece of music and um, I remember Zap when Zap 64 reviewed the game and a guy who's a friend of mine now Dan Gilbert was actually there at the time uh, they were some of the first people outside of the Soviet Union to uh, play uh, Tetris and uh, they gave the game 94% you know this, this was a sign of things to come in terms of how well the game is reviewing lots of comments about well the graphics are simple but you won't believe how compelling this gameplay is but they also I think the, the, the music itself got you know high 90s percentage so it was a game that was recommended in that uh, on that format for both the, the gameplay and the audio uh, in 1988, um, when the rights had started to be sub-licensed more officially, Atari made an arcade version, which uh, we'll talk about later. And in Japan, Sega made an arcade version, which uh, became kind of famous Sega Tetris, less well known over here. Uh, later in Tetris's life, we got a Naomi arcade version and uh, a Dreamcast version called Sega Tetris, which again didn't come out over in, certainly didn't come out in Europe. I don't know if it came out in America. Leah, any idea? I I, I'm not sure. I don't believe so, but I, sure. I that's not really based on solid fact. <laughs> I think I think it's probably yeah. I think it was probably Japan only. Um, so the first really uh, famous version, often still considered the uh, definitive or canonical version by a certain se sector of uh, serious players, is the NES version by Bulletproof Software and Nintendo, 1989. Of course, at the same time, there was a Tengen version by Atari Games uh, known as Tetris, the Soviet mind game. Um, but uh, it was taken from the shelves after the, uh, Nintendo raised that uh, legal dispute. 100,000 copies were made. Uh, and some people actually preferred the Atari version because it had two players simultaneous, unlike the classic version everyone still plays today. Perhaps the most famous version, again, we'll talk about it in depth in a bit, uh, is the 1989 Game Boy version, also by Bulletproof and N Nintendo. It was bundled with the machine and therefore sold 35 million units. Uh, there are still uh, famous tales of some people owning a Game Boy with a copy of Tetris glued in the slot because why would you play anything else kind of thing <laughs> uh, and I think the the strategy was after a discussion internally possibly involving Hank Rogers and the other uh, the, the the pro let's n license Tetris for Nintendo thing was if we bundle it with Super Mario Land it'll sell to the normal core audience which in the late 80s was very much you know young males uh, by and large the demographic but Tetris everyone will want to play it and it perhaps was one of the, you know, one of the earlier games that really did seem to strike a chord with older players and female players, uh, people who weren't traditionally associated with buying and, and getting hooked on video games. Uh, Tetris DX, this is the only version I'm covering at this point, which isn't just called Tetris, uh, only because it came out on the Game Boy Color some years later and was basically a port of the Game Boy version, 98 to 99. There was some criticism because I don't think it had the multiplayer mode the link up game and I, I think it was possibly missing something else so although it was in color it was arguably not as you know fully featured as the black and white version it's it's missing the uh, classic uh game boy theme tune i think that's a big deal for a lot of people oh, okay yeah right yeah sure um and another version that uh if you've got it you're probably rich uh sega started to make a version for mega drive genesis um but then the legal wranglings with nintendo started again as you'd expect um there were rumored to be about a dozen 
versions of the game, presumably ROM, you know, mock-ups rather than, you know, uh, manufactured cartridges in cases, but they're valued at up to $16,000. So uh, I don't know who owns those. So my first question to the panel, uh, and this is a kind of open thing, it's, you know, might be might be a challenge, but let's see if we can go down the route of what makes fun fun? <laughs> why why <laughs> is Tetris so enjoyable? Why do people find it so compelling? So I think that it's there's there's a lot of things, and I, I don't think that um, as um, as little time as we have comparatively, we're going to be able to nail them all. But um, I think sure. that uh, we we talked briefly before about I, I believe Josh actually said um, something about making order out of chaos, and um, that's. I think that's a big thing. It's really satisfying to be given these seemingly random things and be able to make them into something that is very ordered and is um, the same every time and and um, and, and that that you're always doing exactly the same thing, but it's always going to be a little bit different because you always have to be able to adapt it to get it to that same place. Uh, there, there's just something really satisfying about that. And I, I don't even know that I would use the word fun there, although mm-hmm. I do find Tetris to be very fun. I'm not, I'm not sure why, and this might be something that somebody else can jump in on, but I, I'm not sure why satisfying equates to fun in that place in, in this case um, on a, on a purely technical level. Um, I also something that a good tech Tetris game has to have for me um, the click. The click when the when it goes into place that has mm. to be good. If that's not good, you're you you lost me. <laughs> I think for me, um, it manages to immediately induce um, the flow state, which mm. is something that's talked yeah. about in um, game design a lot, where um, a game pitches its difficulty where it's just up against the limit of your ability but not so much that you're frustrated you're still engaged and you're still in the moment and it creates a sensation where you kind of zone out everything else like your your mind is not kind of thinking about what you're doing that day or thinking about anything else it's just totally on these blocks that are on this screen and I think Tetris is kind of a a really masterful example of that. So I can think of plenty of, uh, like, Resident Evil 4, I think, is a great example of a game that induces flow state. The most recent Doom is as well. But Mm. this just does it instantaneously. Like, you just play a couple of levels. Like, early on, you're final, like, yeah, easy to, you know, you're going through the first, like, level of speed and it's pretty easy but quickly things start to ramp up and then you've got to really focus you've got to rotate those blocks you can't afford to let any you know uh, you can't uh, afford to lose any focus whatsoever otherwise it costs you a whole line because you've blocked it off with an awkwardly positioned piece Um, and that kind of that's what's driving me to go forward is that that need that intense focus that it creates and also just that while while it does that it's not it's not there's not so much going on that it ever becomes overwhelming the rules are really simple they're easy to understand it's just it just layers on the difficulty be, by asking you to do the same task a little bit faster, a little bit quicker, um, and the, in a slightly you, different order as well. 
Yeah, and and also you're kind of creating your own challenge as well. So it becomes it becomes about kind of getting better to to make your life easier later down the line because the level of challenge you have in placing a block is entirely dictated by what you've done earlier on. Like if you've made a mess of uh, the blocks lower down the the chain then you're go- life's going to get exponentially harder for you so the the pleasure of going back to it constantly is kind of improving your block placement improving the tactics in in laying those those pieces down and then understanding stuff like oh wait you know i get a better score if i hold off on you know getting rid of the the lower line maybe if i uh, position everything to the left a little bit and then wait for the line piece so i can get four rows uh, done it. in a go, it uh, it it increase it increases my score and it, all these like little bits of little bits of depth that can become apparent as you keep playing it. So it's 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 the, it's the definition of a game that is easy to pick up and play but <laughs> hard to master. Yeah, I think Josh is definitely onto something when he says about the floor state. That's the thing that always pulled me towards the franchise and it it's not just the ability to get into the flow state quickly it's that it's one of the few games that fundamentally issue to the user what you do immediately out of the gate so um i always mention when i'm talking games design to people how mario you hand mario to someone and it you know you have to move you can't move left so you move right then you realise you've got a jump because you've got the enemy, then you realise you've got a block, and you realise all these limitations really quickly, and it introduces it to the user. Tetris does the same thing. You know those pieces are going down, so then you start placing them, then you realise other ones fit in, and you can explain to Tetris, uh, someone, what Tetris is, and have them play in seconds, and they can pick it up. And it seems so simple that you progress and then as Josh mentioned you realize that you can start making it easier for yourself if you manage it and then you realize that there are certain patterns that you should be looking out for to realize and everything grows so it's not just the ability uh to hit a flow state and keeping organized an order is definitely something that's addictive um in in many things i i myself i'll start cleaning up and i'll realize that i you know i actually kind of quite like cleaning up and then continue going at it and it becomes kind of addictive and the, there is that element to tetris as well but the ability to know what you're doing right out the gates was huge especially when the age that people were getting into gaming um in the early 80s this this meant that it basically had no age limitations and that um under sixes tens adults whatever could all grasp and play tetris to some degree mm. yeah i've uh, heard it explained uh, by or read it somewhere somebody much cleverer than i um that uh maybe it was stephen paul's book actually trigger happy talking about the idea that um everything that's on the screen at any time is uh, an illustration of your mistakes basically it's something you need to fix it's something you need to tidy up if you if you like this this does play slightly against the idea of playing it with you know playing four tetrises by slotting in the line block on the right which is how the best players play it but the idea is that as you clean up basically you know like you get most people do i think 
experience some sort of satisfaction when they clean something tidy something put something away where it should be you get that same little hit of dopamine that same little endorphin rush when you clear a line or lines of tetris and that's where the addiction kicks in that's how people get really really hooked on it and so as an extension to this uh, I think it's become something of a cliche over the years, but it's clearly still going strong based on some of our correspondence and three word reviews. Uh, Steve Norman says, if I had to name the perfect game, I'd probably pick this a timeless masterpiece that my words can't do justice to. And uh, three word reviews from Mechner. Tetris works perfectly. Spencer Saunders, perfect time waster, fine excuses, perfection in organization. Um, and I, I struggle with this a bit. I, I struggle how to qualify or quantify something as being perfect, especially not a piece of entertainment. But what is it about Tetris that, that makes so many people describe it in such, you know, like absolute terms? How, how, can, how can people be so certain that this is a perfect piece of design? It's probably something to do with having just enough options that it never becomes a chore and uh, never too many that you ever get confused. So at any one time, it's clear that you're placing these objects. If you make a mistake, it's, you can see what the mistake was and you can look out for it the next time and improve on that. So it never feels like you're being robbed by the game, even though at times it can get ridiculously fast. Um, and the game is short enough that you never feel uh, like it's a race of endurance and you become tired but at the same time, skill level can elongate your experience. So there are many different aspects that all sort of come together because as a, as a design, it is incredibly simplistic, but it has just the right amount of, you quote, quote, X factor, if you like, that sure. it, it, yeah. it, I mean, it is playable. But obviously Tetris isn't, isn't perfect. We, we could never describe Tetris as perfect because as we'll describe, there are so many different versions of Tetris and some of them are fantastic and some of them are awful. It's whether the core fundaments are, uh, yeah, are, are, yeah. I, I consider them, you know, deeply elegant. Perhaps a work of genius, but but perfection is something I'm not sure is attainable. Josh, what do you think it is about? Well, I, Tetris? I mean, perfect is such a loaded term, and it, it I think is, it's a it's a very ill defined term as well. Um, a lot of people would describe, uh, for example, um, Shawshank Redemption as a perfect movie. And I can see where they're coming from, but it's not... Might have been if they hadn't stapled on that ending for, to please yeah. the audiences. Well, yeah, true. But um, <laughs> I, I think what people mean by perfect is is more that it has an appeal for a very diverse audience without kind of sacrificing its integrity at the same time. Perfect's different from favorite or something like that. So favorite is yes, very, very exactly. personal. It's a very like, so I love Dark Souls. I love uh, Persona 3. I love Shadow of the Colossus. But at the same time, I acknowledge that there are things about those things that key into my interests, my perspective, uh, my tastes. And there are things about them that would put off other players. Like, for example, the difficulty of Dark Souls has and will put off certain players. And the obtuse nature of its story will also put off certain players. Whereas Tetris, I think the reason why Perfect is tagged onto it is because even if you don't love it, I think it's hard to find something truly awful 
about it. There's, it's very well crafted. There's something very universal about its design. Um, no, and something that um, Matthew Matosis um, uh, in his video asking the question is yeah. Tetris a perfect game. Something mm-hmm. he brought up was the fact that there is something universal about uh, Tetris's design, and that being that. It doesn't matter what cultural baggage you have, what experience you have, what knowledge you have. You can understand Tetris. You can play Tetris. Um, Dark Souls requires like a level of oh wow yeah of 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 cultural context within the medium of video games. But not only that, like a, a, an understanding of the mythos that it's drawing from, like Western uh, mythology and all of that stuff. There's like a, 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 an expectation that you will understand all these things. Even just using um, the controller to play a game e- like Dark yeah, Souls yeah. is a million miles away from left, yeah. right, rotate, which is... Yeah, whereas, yeah exactly. Yeah. Whereas even the stuff that you're required to learn to play Tetris is so simple that it, it takes seconds and you're immediately um you're immediately in there i i'm just thinking to go off on a a, a light tangent but i i've been listening to the commentary tracks for um um rick and morty recently and dan Harmon's a really he's really good to listen to on commentaries because he talks about a lot about cultural context in writing and there's this one episode of rick and morty where um the um there's the a b storyline and the a storyline is rick and morty going inside somebody's body and having like the typical kind of adventure through somebody's internal organs and then the b storyline is um morty's parents being introduced to the fact that um his father's grandparents have a third uh party who's their like lover and um, Dan Harmon was talking about how because there's so much cultural context for um, uh, for movies where people go inside people and explore their internal organs and what have you, because there's so many movies, so many parodies, you only have to spend 10 seconds explaining that and then you could immediately go into the storyline. Whereas the other thing you have to, the other, the B storyline, because there aren't that many storylines about grandparents bringing in uh, a, a, an outside party to be part of their love life, you have to spend 10 minutes building up that storyline and that I, I was thinking about that on the lead up to this episode about how much information you have to convey to a player based on their cultural context and how much we take that for granted how much we take like um, Halo, for example, like there's so much co- cultural context there. Like um, Aliens, um, the movies that Aliens was uh, that uh, were inspired by Aliens, all of that stuff, and to witness Tetris be this kind of really st- just really apart from that to be stripped away from pop culture and to be a part of that apart from that and and be its own thing its own entity without all of that baggage it's a really unique entity in video games i think i'm sure somebody will um will tell me there's another example of this but so much of video game culture is building on the foundations of dungeons and dragons tolkien all of this stuff to have something that's so 
isolated and so in a like just on yeah. on its own is is unique and I, and I kind of think that's a big reason why it's so universal and so appreciated on an international level and it makes sense that it came out of behind you know came from behind the iron curtain soviet russia where they wouldn't have necessarily had uh, access to all those other influences that are so yeah. completely uh, yeah uh, ubiquitous throughout gaming star wars dungeons and dragons etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah completely I'm, i mean just to be on the topic of you know perfection and whether it's a perfect game i actually nominated this show on the spreadsheet and i had a discussion last year at a meeting with um recurring guest gary blower about games and he described tetris as a perfect game and i said you know i can understand but i don't agree and and we had this discussion and my point was that a game can never be perfect but a moment in time can be so mario 64 was the perfect game to dis- to showcase the nintendo 64 it's no longer a perfect game, but it was the perfect game to showcase what that console could do. This was a perfect game to showcase a Game Boy. And in that moment in time, it worked. So for me, there are elements that can be aspired to, and Tetris could be a benchmark. As a game, it's not perfect because things can always be polished upon. But the certain moments can be. Yeah, I think so. Perfection is a. I, I think if if you were to define perfection, um, which I, I think is, it's a hard thing to do anyway. But yeah, what uh, one of the uh, one quote that I like is that perfection is constantly moving goalposts, and um, yeah. you judge perfection by how close uh, the person is running behind the goalposts at any given point in time. And and I think that kind of neatly links into what you were saying there, uh, Carl. Like, at that point in time, Tetris was just kind of like the perfect game uh, for the zeitgeist for that moment. But, but it is more than that, though, because if it was just right time, right place... Tetris wouldn't have the longevity that it's had. Mm. Like this, this is a game that I still play when whenever it comes out. And I think part of it, you know, we we talk about all these different versions. There's a lot. There are a lot of versions that add things, that add new modes, that add new features. Can you think of anything that you would subtract from Tetris? I think that's kind of the key mm. to why people talk about it being perfect is that there's plenty of ideas that are additional, but I can't think of anything that I would remove yeah. that would improve Tetris. And also beyond the first few versions, and we'll, we are going to talk more about this, but the things that got added from the original on the Electronica 60, the things that got added to the Nintendo version uh, are very, you know, quite minimal. And, uh, but, those are elements that you probably would say that you wouldn't want taken back out. So there's the argument that Paget Noff's original wasn't quite yet perfect and maybe Nintendo perfected it. Um, and then everyone else who's made, you know, I, I counted up earlier, I think something like 25 to 30 different studios have made official Tetris games. Um, you know, there's an argument which which is that none of them have, you know, ever actually you know, really, they, they've gone sideways, maybe in some cases from the Game Boy and NES versions. But have they have they made games which were demonstrably better? Uh, some some might say We've, we're going to talk about the Grandmaster games later. So, yeah, uh, yeah. We, we shall see. But basically, there are I mean, 
two things to argue against the idea of the perfect game. One is I know people who find Tetris boring. If it's perfect, how can it be boring? Um, you know, it's so to some people they like shooting things. They like being a, spe- a spaceman, an adventurer, a Dungeons and Dragons guy. They don't want to just control a shape going down a screen. So if a game is supposed to entertain and it doesn't entertain people, then you know some mm. people maybe it isn't perfect. But I think more more to the point is that as we've already mentioned there are a lot of different versions and uh it's not about how old they are so much as uh, what they do so you know review scores still vary wildly across different versions of tetris uh you will get versions that are rated in the still now in puyo puyo tetris is rating in the mid mid to high 80s uh, obviously that's impure because it's got puyo puyo in it as well but there is a tetris marathon game in there and I think a very nice one. Um, but you will also get games like the most recent uh, PS4, Xbox One game by Ubisoft, which was uh, even aside from the fact that it was technically broken on the PlayStation 4. I don't know if they've since fixed it. Um, but even the Xbox One and 3DS versions, which and this is the game that caused the Game Boy version to get taken off the virtual console, were not well regarded. So... Um, We'll, we'll talk about our own favourite versions and why they are, but we want to think about what it is about versions that make them, in our, to, you know, to our tastes, good or bad. What, what, how can you screw up Tetris? You know, that, that I remember <laughs> this exact thing in um, Amiga Power magazine in the early 90s, when Amiga Power started in 1991. Um, they were, you know, they became very famous, almost notorious for reviewing games, unlike certain of their rivals who would never give anything below 70% to avoid upsetting uh, advertisers and and, uh, developers. Amiga Power would give things 3% if they thought it was bad enough. And one of the things that they talked about was the fact that there have been two versions, official versions of Tetris on the Amiga, and neither of them were as good as the Game Boy version, which was, you know, disgusting when the, the Amiga was obviously a much more powerful and certainly capable machine. So what did they do wrong? It was all about the feel, the physics, the gravity. And those are some of the, the, the granular bits we're, we're going to talk about. Um, uh, so as, as we segue into talking about the different, um, the different versions of Tetris, I, I have an interesting question that I, I would like to raise. And that is, please. is the question of whether Tetris is a perfect game or not, is that even a question that can be answered? Because that means that we would have to have one singular definition of what Tetris is. And Tetris is at the same time always the same and never the same because yeah. you, the the core mechanic that you have these seven different pieces that you have to fit together to make lines that's pretty much all that remains consistent that's everything correct. else yeah. I, I mean we're, we're, we're talking about um some of the uh versions that have been considered to be very good and then some of the versions that have considered to be a complete failure they're the same they're the same game if you strip it completely down to the base level but yeah. is one more tetris than the other is is that even a thing that that can be i mean is there just one definitive version i mean i different people may say different things about that um and as we talk about how many versions of tetris there are i think that's one thing that keeps people interested is that there are so many different things that can be done about this but no matter what you do with it it's always going to be 
those seven pieces make lines go. It would be interesting, Leah, you're nearest um, out of all of us on this show, but the working version of the original Electronica 60 mainframe machine is it a mainframe i'm not sure but it's a it's a it's a big old-fashioned steam driven computer <laughs> you can play a working version in the museum of modern art in new york uh, i'm actually so, not far from new york i should uh, i should yeah. try that at some point it would Field be trip. interesting to know because my my suspicion is um and th- this isn't really based on anything but i suspect that version would feel a little clunky and slow compared mm-hmm. to say the nes and game boy versions that have been nintendoized especially as i play the i started with the 8-bit versions which which predate the uh, the Game Boy and NES versions and the arcade versions as well. Amazing games, don't get me wrong, but I think what a lot of people think of as being how Tetris plays and how it feels are those two Nintendo versions, which, you know, kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think you could. there's maybe an argument that Tetris at its core is conceptually perfect. But that the because people go into things always thinking that something could be bettered. So this is probably why you have so many different variations of something like Tetris because some game lead designer has come in and thought, well, conceptually, I think this would bring about a more positive change to the experience. And it all, all whenever I think about this in games, because we see it in remasters or redos and things get changed and people sometimes don't like those changes and that that's never been. Uh, anything new i mean this is as long as time's been for remasters things have changed or between sequels um but when i was doing back when i was doing my art studies we always used to look at um perfect artists or art being perfect and the the topic would come up about picasso because many people look at picasso and his cubism and and think well that was very distinctive very unique and it was when he started it but i'm not sure how many of you have ever seen Picasso's painting before he did Cupism? Because he was an incredible painter, a but it was very artist, similar. Yeah. It was very similar to a lot of other quote-unquote perfect art, and he got bored of that. He got bored of so much of the same thing, so he put his slant on it and changed. And that's back then, you know, so it would make sense that teams would come in and think, well we can tweak this about Tetris. Maybe that would be better. And maybe that's why it's hard to point down, is Tetris perfect or not? If there was one version of Tetris ever, perhaps maybe we would say that it was. But, it, you know, it, it's always hard to say that about something. But this is why there would be so many changes. I think I think for me that the, the conversation eventually turns into why, like, rather than, like, I think the whole kind of is is Tetris perfect isn't really a useful discussion because of of how ill-defined perfect is and how yeah, much we're we're absolutely. all disagreeing about um what what, what is perfect means yeah i mean i agree which but, is why i phrased the question why do people yeah. describe tetris as being perfect not is it perfect because yeah i don't really believe in in perfection yeah. in any meaningful sense um, however I, I think it's so it, it's really interesting how culturally ubiquitous um uh, that like that discussion has become like that's what's fascinating about you know talking about um, Tetris being perfect is why why has it had this impact that's what's fascinating why why do people f- feel this way mm. so even going back I mentioned earlier the the early import versions uh, 
leaned heavily on the Soviet stylings. Um, but since then, we've had lots of other aesthetics. Even then, actually, the 8-bit versions, uh, once you got into the, the program, I was talking about the Commodore 64 version, it had a kind of abstract sci-fi background. And obviously, since then, we've had uh, plenty of cutesy Japanese ones, more austere, scientific-looking versions, versions with colourful backdro- backdrops, versions with completely black backdrops. You know, you've it's there are so many versions that it's gone through any number of different things you can play a version right now on flash um an official version which is as you'd imagine fairly plain and simple looking uh sometimes they fo- they lean on the functionality of the game sometimes they go more down the abstract or uh, or yeah just a- appealing route um, the modern Tetris logo, I say modern, it's been around for a long time now, is designed by Roger Dean, who people may know is a fairly uh, legendary artist, most famous perhaps for his uh, album covers for many uh, progressive rock groups, particularly in the 70s and 80s, like Yes and Asia and people like that. Um, so what I want to talk about is uh, the in, in abstract is some of the, the variables uh, and Bear these in mind as we talk about uh, our favourite versions and other versions of Note. So one thing I wasn't really aware of, but I suppose it makes sense, is uh, the Tetris company, which is still the the keeper of all things Tetris ultimately, which was the the organisation set up um, by Hank Rogers and Alexei Pajitnov in those early days. Uh, they have a set of guidelines. This was only revealed in relatively recent times. Uh, where there are certain indispensable rules of Tetris uh, to do with the colours of the pieces, to do with the spawning of the pieces, to do with the rotation, to do with the generation uh, algorithm, which is not random. It's to do with uh, sequences and sections and things not reoccurring within a certain amount of time or, or not reoccurring more than a, a number of times in within a certain amount of time, if you see what I mean. Uh, Ghost Piece uh, is now part of the uh, the default um, uh, template, even though it was only an addition that came with the Grandmaster Tetris in the late 90s. Um, the game must include the famous three Russian folk tunes uh, that I'm terribly poor at pronouncing, but the most famous one is the Kor- Korobianiki. Apologies for that. I'm sure that's wrong. Um and various other, you know, uh, things which are supposed sacrosanct articles and commandments. However, uh, Hank Rogers, I believe himself, said there are no games that meet all of the requirements of the Tetris guideline, but there are some that meet some of them. So, so this Tetris <laughs> guideline is not. Uh, so, so Tetris doesn't actually exist, is what you're telling me. <laughs> there, there is an argument to say that. So, so <laughs> if. If the perfect game is the Tetris that follows the Tetris guideline, then no, then it doesn't exist and it is not perfect. But some of those elements and variables do jump in if there's anything in particular you want to say about these. But otherwise, we'll we'll save it for when we're talking about our versions, as it were. But elements to think about that you may not even think about as being variables, depending on how many different versions of Tetris you've played. Uh, there's the next feature which shows you either the next shape or shapes which are coming up now what interests me about this is if you go back to the Game Boy version and the earlier 8-bit versions this is not switched on by default it does not show you what your next piece is you have to press a button to bring up the next shape it was almost considered a bit of a cheat back when I started playing to know what the next piece was going to be but players now are pretty much playing the next piece before they've seen 
the one they've got in hand, if you see what I mean. Uh, some versions have a background grid or lines to help you guide. Some don't. Uh, the Tetromino. Now, uh, Freelance Police, his three-word review for this show uh, at Twitter. Uh, at Twitter. Kana Rince at Twitter. You know you know how it works. Uh, was His three-word review was Tetrominos, not Tetraminos. So, uh, so, yeah, we'll try to observe that. But we might just say shapes, tiles, pieces. Um, I've, I've been watching a lot of videos of high-level Tetris play, and even they don't stick to the, the rules. The seven one-sided Tetrominos are officially known as I, O, T, S, Z, J, and L. But I don't know anyone who doesn't say line block, squiggly, uh, <laughs> you know, nasty zigzag. one zigzag yeah <laughs> so everyone's got their own lexicon i think um but there is a, there is an official uh, there is an official jargon uh, the ghost shadow, as mentioned there in the Tetris guide, that's to show you where the piece is going to land. Some people absolutely despise this. You can switch it off in most modern versions. I think you can certainly switch it off in Puyo Puyo Tetris. Uh, the hard drop, drop and the soft drop. Now, this is a huge element of uh, feel, and it's also along with the uh, easy spin or infinite spin, which came in with the next Tetris and Tetris Worlds, uh, hugely controversial. So the hard drop is where you just slam pieces into place by pushing, normally by pushing the stick up. I say the stick could be a pad. Uh, and the soft drop is where it doesn't instantly lock into place the second it touches anything else. Now, if you go back and play an early Tetris, you'll find that if if uh, Tetromino touches Tetromino, that's it. You are locked it's in, locked. baby. Yeah. Um, and there's been quite a lot of criticism from the hardcore community. The reason that everyone still plays the NES game is because it doesn't have infinite spin, doesn't have easy spin like the DS version. Some people will say in the in the Tetris community, don't play the DS version because it's got infinite spin. Uh, so yeah and lock delay comes into that as well that's another you know jargon term which is basically if if it how long you've got between it touching and and it's sticking so that is you know the feel of that is i think maybe something we're going to come back to uh yeah soft drop allows players to slide the blocks when they hit the floor and um you know that wasn't even there until yeah five years into the game being invented perhaps with those 1989 versions um, the gravity of how fast the pieces drop, obviously it varies as you level up. And uh, the old Game Boy game, does it have just nine speeds, I think, before it, it's... I it, think I so. Now, Tetris the Grandmaster, certainly Tetris the Grandmaster 3, and I think I think the first one as well, has goes up to 999. Uh, but it stops getting faster at 500. But... Uh, uh, yeah, I don't quite understand. And then it goes invisible. Uh, yeah, well, well, we'll come to that. Yeah, uh, there's the hold piece, which came in also with the next Tetris. Uh, also controversial because it allows you to take a piece that's about to drop and reserve it for later. You get the next piece in your sequence instead, and then you can bring the locked piece back, the, hold, the held piece back into play. Again, something that uh, purist players would consider cheating, basically. Um the wall kick, this this is odd. Now, if you go back to Game Boy Tetris or that era, you'll find that if you've got a piece up against the side and you try to rotate it, it won't. It's uh, it's locked off. But in ver ver most, I think, modern versions of Tetris, if you've got, say, an L up against the side and you rotate it, it will push itself away from the wall, like as if Samus being Metroid doing a kind of wall jump kind of thing. So obviously that's quite a fundamental change to the feel of the game, how it works. Yeah, sorry, back to the gravity there as well. Um, the gravity is, I believe, um, 
in terms of how the speed works on the on the tetrominoes is a, a complex and locked in algorithm that that has to be observed for the game to be official and feel right. Um, but that said, I'm pretty sure different versions have played around with the with the limits of this, um, and that goes back to the quote about not all not all versions have all features. And uh, another key thing, of course, is the chain reactions. So again, go back to original early versions. Uh, pieces float above holes, whereas in some later versions, pieces drop into holes to make uh, to form chains. Um, and again, to mention the next Tetris, uh, the tetrominoes in that are actually made of different size chunks. So they're not always just four one piece squares. They might be made of three and one or two and two. And they'll split depending on how they land and, f- and fill holes in a slightly different way. Um, Tetris is not random, as we say. Uh, nothing. A, a friend of mine who's a programmer uh, for you know, business and stuff, he uh, always tells me, when I say, oh, this game's got this random element in, he says, nothing in a video game is ever random because computers can't do random. They can only do increasingly long sequences that appear to be random, um, which uh, I suspect is probably true, but to the human experience, they might, you know, things may as well be random when you're dealing, it's selecting, you know, one option from gazillions or whatever. Um, but the idea that Tetris just throws bricks at you at random is not correct. GoldenEye designer Martin Hollis told Gama Sutra, Tetris doesn't deliver the bricks in a completely random order. It shuffles ahead a set of bricks. If I recall rightly, about four sets of seven. What it does is it evens out the distribution. So it means you won't get a load of S or Z bricks. You can't possibly get more than, say, seven in a row. These kind of tricks don't make games worse. They put a lot of work into that and they believe that it makes the game better. I'm inclined to think that it does, but it does isolate you from the brutality of true randomness. One thing I'm not sure about i've never really understood is the scoring system in tetris um and it really goes to town in the grandmaster versions uh and again we'll we'll come on to that but uh i was playing being playing some tetris within puya puya tetris and the scoring i think seems to still relate to the aging versions but uh b- because there are s- b- tweaks to the rules obviously make tweaks to the scoring and stuff like that so um you know we could we could go down a rabbit hole there uh but if anyone has anything to say on their specific versions um busker lily from the forum says i think tetris is the perfect example of the single player game as multiplayer i couldn't count the number of car bus or plane journeys made bearable by passing a copy of tetris back and forth to compare scores Tetris, in its simple design and complex mastery, is probably the closest video games have come to inventing a new timeless game in the vein of chess or playing cards. So I just wanted to mention that header versus play. Um, Not every version has score uh, saving capabilities or leaderboards, which is always a shame. Um, But of course, versus play is something that came in very early on as well. And we can still see it and do it in games like Puyo Puyo Tetris, um, throwing garbage at each other. You can play Tetris DS online and so on and so forth. Uh, There are so many articles and um, actually academic papers have been written about Tetris. You can go and find those online about the theory and all that. And uh, and as I say, although I talked there about the the original versions of Tetris, the games that were just called Tetris, I thought it'd be fun to run down some of the names of the games that have come since. We've had Tetris 2, 3D Tetris, 4D Tetris, Tetris 64, Advance, Tetris Attack, 
which is not a Tetris game. It's panelled upon Tetris Axis, Tetris Battle, Tetris Battle Fusion, Tetris Battle Gaiden, Tetris Blast, Tetris Blitz, Burst, Deluxe, DS, DX, Free Tetris, Friends 2, that's numerals, iPod Tetris, Kids Tetris, Magical Tetris Challenge, Nano Tetris, which is a handheld LCD, N-Blocks, which is the free Flash-based game you can play now, Tetris Online, Tetris Party, Party Deluxe, Plus, Plus 2, Pop, Puyo Puyo, Sega Tetris, Tetris Splash, which I'm going to talk a little bit about, Tetris Stars, Super Tetris, Tetris Sphere, arguably not really a Tetris game, Tetris the Grandmaster, the new, the next Tetris, Twist, Ultimate, not Ultimate, <laughs> V Tetris and Tetris Worlds. So let's talk about some of our favourite and other noteworthy versions. We'll take it in turns. Me starting because I'm the oldest and I go back the farthest, I suspect, with Amstrad CPC Tetris in 1987. Amstrad CPC because that's the version my friend had. So I had an Atari 8-bit computer and that never got a version of Tetris. So uh, I remember playing, it was on a compilation, a Mirasoft compilation. So obviously, although they didn't officially have the rights, they kept selling it and it got bundled into a box and sold with a load of other uh, quite cool games as well, including, I think, the Sentinel and Elite. And I would sit, my my friend had this um, upstairs attic room and I would sit in there for hours and hours playing Amstrad CPC 464 Tetris uh, with next shape on music off because it was a bit tinny and annoying uh, and yeah that's where I first started getting hooked on Tetris um, and in a recurring sort of uh, theme the person we knew who was by far the best at Tetris was a girl called Kate and she was seemingly supernaturally good at Tetris compared to all the rest of us Still don't know why, um, but I've since met other people who have this same gift for Tetris, more of which later. Uh, Carl, you're next oldest, so uh, <laughs> I think we share this one. Early early Tetris memories, the Atari coin-op? Yep, the coin-op in the arcades. Loved it, yeah. Yeah, it was a great version. Always bundled next to the Mahjong machines as if it wasn't a proper game in oh, the arcades. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just... It was a lot of fun. It was big and chunky and... Uh, responsive to the joystick and it played different to the um game boy and and uh, nes versions that i'd played and uh, the, the original arcade versions always stuck out for that reason i think there's something to be said for arcade style buttons isn't there for rotating it fit yeah i mean definitely we see this in the grandmaster later but the feel the the, the look and feel of this one i think is still tremendous i love playing it on mame um it was incredibly uh, meaty and loud sounding it tended to be cranked right up in the arcades because it was tetris and don't forget this predates the nes and Game Boy versions as well by uh best part of a year at least uh and yeah this was completely ubiquitous in the arcades of brighton and elsewhere that i saw it was always there and it lasted for years as well you could still play this up until probably the early 2000s in arcades in brighton um yeah so you can check it out on youtube or mame atari coin op tetris not not to be confused with the 1989 sega tetris which is also worth and if you were lucky you could also get a sit down unit um, oh, some really? were stand up, some being sit downs. Oh, yeah, I never saw sit down. Um, they they were in the old red boxes uh, with the sort of the gold uh, around the outside of the screen right. in sort of a custom unit as a sit oh, down, okay. and that was always a pleasant experience being able to actually just sit down and play Tetris because sometimes it could last a while on the old legs. Yeah, and the other thing I remember at this point, and I can't find any record of this on the internet, and I've seen another one, a modern incarnation of this recently. I mean, there are still Tetris 
machines being made uh, in various ways and forms. There was a win money Tetris game in the late 80s. I know this because Kate, the girl I was just talking about, who we knew was really good at Tetris. We were planning on getting her to the arcades to play this you know, te- cash cash for Tetris game. Um, I don't think we ever arranged it, but I never played it because I knew I was only, you know, I was just not going to win. But it was, I don't know who made it. I don't know. I can't remember. I remember, I think, I think you could win five or ten pounds, depending on how well you did. It was, I'm not sure it was even related to the Atari coin-op, but it was a an official win money Tetris game. Uh, a curio. If anyone knows anything more about it, I'd love to, to hear it. Uh, Josh and Leah, your first pick is the very famous... Game Boy version. So I, yeah. um, I think I've, I think I've told this story before, um, maybe on here, maybe not. But um, my parents at that time um, were really, really suspicious of video games. Like I, I did not have a, uh, a Nintendo. Uh, I never did. Um, and the first, um, the first game system that they bought me was a Game Boy. And that would have been Christmas. And I, I would have been eight or nine years old. It was, you know, right after the Game Boy came out. And um, I had two games. And one of them, of course, was Tetris because it was bundled in. And the other one was Super Mario World. So if they were trying to get me off of video games, they failed. Because <laughs> those were uh, those were a couple mm. of really good ones. Um, but I have... I, I guess Tetris probably by that logic would have been like the first video game that I actually ever owned. Um, so I played a lot of, uh, of Game Boy Tetris. Uh, at the time, my grandparents lived a uh, fairly lengthy car ride away from us. So whenever we would drive to see them, I would have that in the car with, you know, my, my four AA batteries that got sucked out after six or eight hours and, um, you know, no light on the screen. So if once it got dark, it was, it was just pretty much over. Uh, but I, I loved Tetris and I think that, um, that really affects how I judge a Tetris game now because Mm. I have trouble. Well, trouble's, trouble's a little bit too strong. I find that I enjoy Tetris games more now the fewer extra things that they add from what I experienced in that Game Boy version. Um, I, I, I spent some time playing um, the PS4 version of Tetris uh, this week, and it's, it's okay, but I do much better if I don't try to look at where things are going. Like the, the shadow really messes with me because when it's a little bit slower, I start looking at the shadow and you know, mm. using that to line things up. But when it starts getting faster, I start psyching myself out because I need to be looking at where it is and where the actual rotation is. And I need to be checking out the next piece to see where I, where I need to be planning ahead for. And if I'm just looking at where it's going to be when it drops and not paying attention to how long it's going to take to get there when it gets faster i just i start losing it all at once switch so, it off. Um, can you switch it off y- you can yes so yeah. i i think that um that i might play some more and mm. mess around with the options some because i just the the more the more things that get added to it in general and, and there are a couple of exceptions but um i i find that the simpler a tetris game is for me the better i tend to do at it and the more i tend to like it i remember being really good at tetris and maybe it's just because i'm a lot older now but i i'm not as good as i remember being um so for me um so 
Tetris Game Boy edition came out in uh, 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, I was but a twinkle in my father's eye oh, at yeah. that point in time. Um, but what a twinkle. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so I, I didn't get around to playing um, Tetris Game Boy until um, probably midway through the 90s when I was but a wee we five-year-old um, living a privileged life in America at the time because um, my dad had a job in America for two years and brought us all over uh, before kind of taking us back because he felt like um, the British education system was uh, superior, so he wanted us to have a, a British education um, mm. for whatever reason. Um and I distinctly remember my first experience of Game Boy, um, uh, the Game Boy version of Tetris, being when we were on kind of like an, a, a, a little trip um, somewhere in California, and we were in this hotel. And my dad's going to listen to this podcast and correct the details because <laughs> this is, you know, me remembering five year old Josh. Um, and there was this hotel that had a, a, a Game Boy that it was letting kids living in the hotel borrow for a little bit. Um, and what what it came with was um, Tetris and another game that I've forgotten. It was something else, but it came with Tetris. And at the time, I remember being really disappointed because I was like, <laughs> oh, "I'm a fight. I want I want like a proper action game. I don't want this Tetris." Uh, nonsense but it ended up being something that every time we went back to the hotel room um, I ended up playing uh, obsessively and that that basically was the thing that was like yeah now I need to get a Game Boy Um, I I need to have a Game Boy so I can play Tetris and that kind of opened you know opened the doors for stuff like Pokemon and everything else but Tetris is is probably my first proper experience with a video game Mm. um and yeah and the fact that i still have strong memories of that moment when everything else is a a little bit fuzzy from that point in time um i think speaks volumes to the impact of that game and just beyond kind of like that you know first experience of it i still think there's an elegance and simplicity to the original game boy i think there's something quite appealing about the black and white um aesthetic of it and yellow and gray really but yeah well yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yellow and gray but um and and i still think that that original theme tune um that plays by default on that version of the game is still the theme tune for tetris music type one or whatever um yeah uh, and do you guys did you all manage to secure your 3ds virtual console copies before it was removed from sale because i i've got it and i i still do you know i i will stick it on um you know if i've only got like a handful of minutes to go i'm probably just as likely to play that as i am as to play something on my iphone or whatever these days uh, no but i do still have an original game boy copy with well that'll do it then. Boy, so <laughs> Just need the batteries. Carl, yes. you also played Game Boy Tetris. You'd have been a young, relatively young whippersnapper as well. And Carl, uh, you also played one of the Amiga versions, which I never did because of those bad reviews that I mentioned. <laughs> Can you remember which <laughs> version it was, and was it as bad as I was led to believe? I don't remember which version it was, um, as often the case with Amiga games, unfortunately, but it was quite ropey. Yeah. It, it, 
it was not responsive for all the reasons yeah. that I said that the arcade version was yeah. with the joystick and the buttons. Mm. The Amiga was the complete opposite. Spongy. It was re- yeah. 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 Okay. Um, over rotations and, and right. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, I remember them just from screenshots and looking quite ugly. The Tetris I did play the most of, and obviously I, I for reasons of time I didn't include the eighty billion uh, ripoffs and and whatever, but. On the Amiga, I did play quite a lot of a game called Super Twintress, which was a public domain game which was given away on a magazine cover, and it was a two-player early kind of two-player Tetris game. So yeah, that was that was cool. It was actually you know all the magazines at the time said don't pay thirty-five quid or whatever it was for Spectrum Holobyte Tetris in a box because you can play Super Twintress for free and it'll do you fine. So yeah. Um, so I'm just looking chronologically. Let's also hear from the community at this point. Hunter 30 says the original Game Boy was my first ever console and Tetris was one of the first few games that I owned for it. I have to confess, though, it never really threatened to claim top spot in my affections at the time, with my younger selves usually opting for more flamboyant alternatives such as Super Mario Land when it came to deciding what to play. Given my age, I think I can be forgiven for this, although I do harbour a certain amount of Tetris-related guilt and insecurity still. It's a bit like when you watch an indie film which everyone says is really clever, and because you just don't get it, you worry that the logical conclusion is that you are really stupid. (laughs) This isn't to say that I never spent any time playing Tetris. I did, and certainly had my moments with it. The satisfaction of slotting in one of the long L shapes... Or is he saying eye shapes? I'm not sure. You know the ones, everybody. And clearing several rows in one fell swoop is something I remember well, as is that iconic earworm of a soundtrack. Another abiding memory is that my stepmom, who has never shown the slightest interest in any other computer games, either before or since, really enjoyed playing it and on occasion would borrow my Game Boy for that reason. Ultimately, I regard Tetris as something of an ugly duckling, underappreciated by me, at least in its earlier years, but a game whose impact and simplistic genius I've subsequently come to recognise. Leo, I was expecting you to have the uh, the NES version, but no, because you didn't have a Nintendo. So I didn't um, have a Nintendo. Chronologically, next that would be we mentioned it briefly, uh, Carl. The DX on the on the Game Boy Color. Yeah, uh, you'd have been yeah a bit bit more of an age to perhaps to appreciate the game design and stuff like that, even if it was missing some some famous features. Yeah, I mean, I'd never owned an original Game Boy. It was always something that I had to play uh, a friend's in school. And when the sort of thinner-looking, nice purple Game Boy Colors came out, my dad treated me one day. I wasn't expecting it, and he bought a Game Boy Color and a copy of Tetris, which was always nice. And it it didn't have the theme tune, but it did play really well. Um, It was nice to see a bit of color on Tetris uh, on, on a Game Boy, which... By this point, I'd already played the Amiga and the arcade version, but it was still kind of nice to have it sort of in the palm of my hands. And there is something to be said for playing Tetris on a device right in front of you, um, on the right device, I should say. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Something like the Game Boy where it's it's right in front of you and you can sort of really get drawn in close up to the screen. Um, it was a great, an incredible amount of hours into that one. Mm. Angry Zeus Gaming says Tetris was the first time I'd ever experienced an unavoidable pull towards a video game. I first played Tetris on the NES, and unlike other NES or NES games, Tetris was not instantly punishingly difficult. It had a simple formula to follow. Make lines, make more lines, make four lines and the screen flashes. It had a haunting and addictive soundtrack, now famous, and it always prodded the player forward, challenging them by continuously increasing the speed until the screen fills with blocks. 
My brother and I had played a ton of NES games before this. The difference with Tetris was that it never got old. No matter how much we loved Mega Man 2, the Dr. Wily stages would always torture us and we would walk away dejected when the game hit the difficulty level that our pre-adolescent thumbs couldn't keep up with. Tetris both allowed you to feel skilled and helpless at the same time. We would sit for hours transfixed by the blocks, hypothesising what colour they would change to if you could hit 200. We would compete back and forth even though it was not yet two-player. Tetris for us was a perfect game, a game anyone could play, yet none could conquer. It is clear that I have a romantic relationship with Tetris, and I'm okay with that. Now, back to playing Puyo Puyo Tetris on my Switch. So looking chronologically, Carl, you've got the Grandmaster here. Is this the original Grandmaster, the late 90s one? It would have been. Uh, I would have played it on MIME at the time right. via okay. emulation. Uh, never, that probably would have been sometime never later it then, wouldn't in the it? If you'd, yes. Yeah, if you'd actually been playing it on MIME. Um, but yeah, let's talk about it then because it was, I think it was 98, the first Grandmaster. Uh, and yeah, there's a whole scene which, which we are going to talk about, but... Uh, did you did you think at the time this is a really cool new version of Tetris or was it just did it seem a little you know plain and and um, you know it ordinary? didn't seem plain because it felt nice and chunky for all the reasons that I loved the original Coiner yeah and it had been a long time after playing the likes of the Amiga and then the Game Boy and Game Boy Color um, and those those versions which played suitably well but. There was something I found far more visually appealing about the Grandmaster, and it, it, this was just one day looking through Mame as we can do and seeing. I'll try that game mm. out. You know, I I love Tetris. I thought I'll try it, and it was quite daunting because it was different um, to the Tetrises that I'd played, and I was a little bit confused by a, a few things playing it. But I absolutely loved the look and the feel of the Grandmaster. Mm. Yes, you and many, many players, as we will discuss. Mark Hoog from the forum says, Half a life ago, this was probably one of the biggest building blocks of my gaming persona. Had I not gotten a Game Boy along with this game at such a young age, I might have just stuck to reading books. And probably due to Tetris abstract simplicity, the fond memories I have around this game are legion, playing it on long trips in the backseat of my parents' car, killing time with it in the school cantina, playing matches against a 40-year-old French bloke called Claude in a hotel bar in Torremolinos, good times (laughs) i want to know the rest of that story and to this day the impact of tetris on my life is palpable for interest for instance whenever my girlfriend and i are at the grocery store trying to economically put all of our items in a bag that's a tad too small we start humming the tune boy that tune yes packing tetris Uh, we'll have more mentions of that (laughs) later on um yeah so next up for me were two games simultaneously released, the new Tetris and the next Tetris, uh, both that came out in late 99, so millennial Tetrises. The new Tetris I didn't have for that long, but I did think it was cool. It had some quite substantial uh, mechanical differences that you could form four by four squares and form them into metal blocks, and then there were gold or silver blocks, depending on how... uh, whether whether the block was all made up of the same metals or not um also you were playing into this overarching thing of uh, uh sort of uh, the more you played you were kind of basically it was like experience on based on the number of things you'd cleared and you were unlocking uh, famous things like the uh, you know wonders of the world or, or amazing buildings the sphinx the pantheon st basil's 
a Mayan temple and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it had a, a, a sort of trancey electronic uh, soundtrack by Neil Voss, which isn't something you always, you know, you didn't always get a, a an opulent soundtrack on an N64 game. It also had four player option, um, which was uh, fairly unusual at the time. And obviously you were dealing with relatively uh, low res, but it was a, it was a cool package and I liked it. I'm pretty sure uh, my friend Pete, who I often mention when we're talking puzzle games still has it. Uh, and we could definitely dig it out for a game. But the one I did play a lot more of, which was the PlayStation, and it also came out on Dreamcast, I, I learned recently. Somebody, or some, there, somewhere it did. Somebody told me there was a Dreamcast version. Uh, the next Tetris, which, uh, as I say, brought in some of the, the much maligned new features. But actually, we played tons of this. Uh, and it was in, I think it's still an enjoyable variant. It was, I think, in fact, my girlfriend at the time owned it because then I didn't have it for a while. But then I bought a copy for my now girlfriend some years later. And uh, it has a, apart from everything else, it has a very cool leveling system where uh, it remembers you kind of sign in on a profile. Bear in mind, this is PS1 day, so it's not like a Xbox or something. And it remembers your stats uh, based on your previous play and, and ranks you at a level. And then when you play multiplayer with another person on that memory card save, it will automatically use a handicapping system based on both your levels. And you can level up or level down during any particular match and it will remember kind of what stage you're at and where your abilities got to. Uh, if, if the game gets too hard for you, it will take you back down a rank and so on. Really clever stuff. And as I say, some unusual physics and also some... Uh, some unusual polygon style uh, multiplayer effects so whereas traditionally tetris two player is versus is about throwing garbage blocks at each other you know pushing their lineup we, we haven't actually explained what you do in tetris uh, i think i think everyone knows how a game over happens in tetris um but in this game in the next tetris uh, it would um literally spin the entire play area around in as a polygon spin it upside down the the more um, lines and chains that your opponent got the more kind of crazy distortion and stuff would happen to the to the other player's screen so not very pure in that sense but actually in terms of a late night versus game for uh fun and bants uh, a good laugh so yeah written next tetris you still see it knocking around in second hand stores sometimes if you've got a, a machine which can play ps1 games including a ps2 or ps3 then i guess you can do that Someone really missed a trick by not calling that Nextris. That's a very good point. Yeah. You should be in marketing. I should be. Terrible. <laughs> uh, so next up chronologically, I guess we're at, uh, wow, already we're at Tetris DS, which uh, sold an awful lot of copies, I believe. Um, this was a Nintendo-made, Nintendo-ized Tetris with uh, Mario and Zelda and, and various things on it, um, coded at home by Nintendo SPD. Uh, and yeah, this quickly became quite hard to get hold of, got quite expensive. Um, and uh, yeah, I had this for a while, but we'll come back to me. So you got, I think, uh, Josh and Leah, you've both put Tetris DS. Did you sink many happy hours into this one, Josh? Yeah, so I, I think this is the version of Tetris I've probably played the most. Um, uh, in a lot of ways, it's 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 it gets a lot of the fundamentals right. I think it, it feels really good. It sounds really good. It, it looks really good, and and the Nintendo theming helps a lot. Like having that Nintendo music and that Nintendo art um, in the background um, just gives it a unique flavor. 
um, it's just it's just a really solid Tetris game, um, and and it just yeah, it, it's become the the one that I think of when I think of Tetris. Yeah, I think that maybe part of why this is so still so um, expensive to uh, to locate if you don't already have a copy is probably because they didn't mess with it a whole lot. There are a lot of modes in there and, you know, there are a lot of, it, it sounds odd to say it that way, but th- there are a lot of things that you can do with this, but it's a really solid, basic Tetris game underneath all of that. Like it, it nails the things that it needs to do rather than focusing on all of the changes that it makes. Now there, I mean, I'm not, again, not saying that there aren't changes there or that there aren't things that, um, that you can do or that are present in that game. But if, if you're, if you're looking for something that does not ignore what really makes Tetris good and really makes it appealing to a lot of people, myself included, then I I think this is, probably one of the most recent examples of something that does that there was another ds tetris called tetris party deluxe which came out some years later i think hudson possibly made it for it's an official tetris game uh and it kind of messed around with the formula a lot more and i don't think it's nearly as well known but um but that that does exist there is more than one way to play tetris on the ds uh, 2007 then, so Tetris DS was 2006, Tetris Splash. This is the only Tetris I've played on the Xbox 360. There was a boxed version. Was it Evolution or Worlds or one of those? Yeah, or was it... it was. I, they might have both been. Evolution was the one that I played, and I didn't play that much of it. I just remember a lot of, like, flame graphics, and there was also online multiplayer. So that's that's basically my memories of Tetris Evolution. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't remember it being very well received uh, no i don't remember it being particularly remarkable so tetris splash i wanted to mention it it's a perfectly serviceable okay game of tetris i think um you know maybe on maybe on the 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 weaker side than the stronger side but it's not it's not offensively you know incompetent or anything but what's weird about it is it's got this uh, aquarium theme and uh, to this day as i checked today you can still buy it it's still available so no issues with uh, licensing or rights there uh, i don't i'm not sure if it's backwards compatible on xbox one i was one. just gonna ask <laughs> uh, I, I was i meant to check but i ran out of time but yes uh, i still have it obviously to download on 360 if i want and you can still buy 10 up to 10 pounds worth of cosmetic fish based dlc <laughs> That was the only DLC they released for it, all in one go on the first day. So if you want some arowanas swinging, swimming around in the background of your game of Tetris, you can pay for that. So yeah, Tetris Splash still going. Um, save some more Grandmaster talk for a minute. Um, that brings us to... Does that bring us to uh, Tetris Ultimate, I suppose? Did that come out before? Well, no, Puyo 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 Tetris goes back further, doesn't it? Because... Yeah that because i've actually had my copy of that for some some years now. the japanese copy was released before i believe yeah it was like 2015 or 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 earlier even yeah so put your put tetris don't want to talk about it loads but uh because it's not pure tetris although as i say it has a very nice version of tetris in there it's made by sonic team or the the modern incarnation of sonic team whatever that is and whatever relationship that bears to the sonic team that was around uh best part of 30 years ago um but the tetris that's in there i think feels really nice 
and it looks really nice. It's obviously it's the Japanese cutesy end of things. Uh, tons of modes, tons of content in Puyo Puyo Tetris. Uh, if you've got a Switch, it's a game that you can get on your Switch. <laughs> it's a good, it's a well-reviewed game. I um, own two Switch it, games, and this is one of them. <laughs> yeah, and it is now available uh, also in the West. Um, the licensing got sorted out, and I think I think the licensing was doubly complex because Puyo Puyo and Tetris obviously are separate IPs, so um, owned by different people. Sega are involved, Nintendo are involved, Sonic Team are involved. Uh, it's yeah, it's complicated, but I. I I, yeah, I got Darren to import me this for PS4 when he went over over two years ago, I think. And uh, yeah, I've been back to it recently and uh, I think it's an awful lot of fun. And Tetris, hooray. Anything to add to Leah? Uh, yeah, well, just a couple of interesting little things. Um, so I, I this... I have never played Battle Tetris Gaiden, um, but I've watched video uh, of it, most notably on Giant Bomb. And this, to me, feels almost like the closest we're ever really going to get to an official Tetris Battle Gaiden release. I should have mentioned that. That should have been. I'll come back to that one. Yes, good point. Uh, that and also, um, has there ever been another Tetris game with a story mode? I can't Probably. think of one. No. Yes. Yes. There's a uh, there's a Japanese anime related Tetris game. Is there seriously? That has a story. Yeah, That's great. that has a story mode. I saw it played at um, SGDQ last year by okay. Kevin DDR. Huh. Uh, he did it competitively. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, and it's utterly bizarre. And it, it has some. It has the Tetris elements of playing it with some um, patterns and stuff involved. It's really kind huh. of strange. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's something absurd like you'd, you'd expect and uh yeah it's definitely worth watching on youtube but yeah it was it should be there for it was either the one at the start of this year so okay. it's either agdq um at 2017 or sgdq 2016 that's cool yeah i i will have to look at that uh puyo puyo tetris is also a little weird over uh, i i don't know if this is the same uh in the uk but it's it's odd availability wise because you can get for the Switch you can get Puyo Puyo Tetris either um, digitally or there was a limited physical run yeah. for the PS4 version there is no digital version which Same. is really weird Same. It, that that seems odd to me and I know it's a licensing thing but it's it's it bizarre. Is. Yeah, you can get it in in stores for about twenty low low mid mm-hmm. twenty pounds so it's yeah. uh, so it's, it's a good price. I, I, we paid 35 in Japan to buy it a couple of mm-hmm. years ago, which I'm more than happy with because yeah. it's got a ton of content. But um, yeah, so no, you can't download it, unfortunately. Uh, yes, you mentioned Tetris Battle Guide and I, I, I whizzed past it earlier. I have played it. I've played it in two player. I've not played it single player. Um, I played it on a homebrewed Wii. So on Super Nintendo emulation on a homebrew Wii. And uh, yeah, it's it's a very cool two player Tetris. I mean, it's not... It, uh, I don't know what the single player is like in terms of being a purist Tetris, but yeah, 1993 Super Nintendo bulletproof software. Um, so it is like a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an, a very much an official Tetris and certainly it's a bit of a cult classic for multiplayer shenanigans. So if you get the chance to play it, I would recommend it. Which brings us to the most recent sort of main Tetris release. Now, I've avoided this because I heard bad things. Tetris Ultimate, in inverted commas. Um, so this is Ubisoft yeah. now doing it. Oh, sorry, Josh, I skipped part. We'll come back to your uh, EA one. Because EA were doing some Tetris, and now Ubisoft are doing some Tetris. I don't know how all this works. Um, so Tetris Ultimate, as I say, the main thing I know is that the PS4 version was actually properly broken 
whereas the other versions were just a bit crap in quotes is 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 that <laughs> is that right <laughs> It's an abomination why, of a Tetris why, game. Why, why is it an abomination, Carl? What, what is it that's uh, so offensive about Ultimate? It has none of the charm. Not, uh, the music's not there. The music's it's, awful. It's the most soulless it, entity it of a it. game. But does it feel it, like it, Tetris? Does it play like Tetris? If you can ignore the aesthetics because you just want to play Tetris. No. No, okay. Honest, honestly, I find it incredibly unpleasant to play wow. it looks uh ugly it's got that horrible blue s- sort of semi-futuristic style to the art it's very plain and the music yeah. is the worst music can you take of the music any off? of the tetris games i've played okay I, I just mute the telly assume you can take the music <laughs> off. um yeah i i, I gotta say it, it looks like considering they the, the the branding they gave it it looks like the most perfunctory Bog standard placeholder Tetris. It, it could be an old public domain game or a Net Eurosa game for it, PS1 or something. I played better Tetris games like this that were knocked up in Flash yeah. in the early 2000s. Yeah, or you could just play Tetris N Blocks, which is the official Flash game right now. Leah, you've also played this? What yeah. do you make of it? Well, I, I don't have that much experience with it because I only just downloaded it this week in, in preparation for the show. Um, so I I haven't had time to build up quite the deep-seated loathing that Carl has. Do we owe you money now? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, 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 not at all. Um, but I... So I, I only played... I did not actually play any of the multiplayer, so I maybe there's something there. The, the, the biggest thing... I think the online's broken too, Leah, sorry. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> functionally, it was okay. Uh, it, it wasn't, I mean, it, it wasn't anything special. I thought it was okay. It had a lot of the things like the quick drop and like the T-spins and like um, the the shadow pieces and, and all of that that I, I am not particularly fond of. But for the most part, you can mess with those and turn things off and personalize it a little bit. But the music is so bad. The music is really bad. That really <laughs> was offensive to me. Really it's, bad. It's like-, it's like they took the original Tetris music, the iconic, you know, everybody knows it, Tetris music, yeah. and just kind of put it underwater for a little bit. So you awesome. kind of hear little... Sna- no, not awesome. You kind Tetris of hear splash. little snatches. <laughs> yeah, this should have been Tetris Splash. It, it, it's just kind of muddy, and there's not enough of the regular Tetris music in there to have it be any kind of homage or takeoff or anything like that. It's just... It's a mess. It's a mess. Okay, so well done, Ubisoft. Try <laughs> yeah, again. Thank, thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, Busker Lily, back to the happier times. I'm sure I'm woefully ill-equipped to say anything interesting about Tetris. I'm sure you're not, Busker Lily. From the intrigues of its origin through its addictiveness, success and ubiquity, it's a game that has been spoken about at length by people much smarter than me. And us. For me personally, the game was pretty perfect. It's that word again from uh, right from that Game Boy game and I've never gotten quite as much play out of another version. The only one that came close was the oddly Nintendo heavy DS edition. It's quite it's often um, interesting that quite a few people speak about the Game Boy version as if it was the original because I suppose to all intents and purposes to many people it was. 
So I did uh, several hours of uh, research in a nice cafe. Don't feel sorry for me um, on high level Tetris play yesterday. Now, I could have I could have disappeared further and further and further down this rabbit hole. Uh, there is a real scene about it. And because of the modern era of streaming and uh, Twitch and, you know, all that stuff and awesome games done quick, as mentioned by Carl, um, there is now a very healthy uh, kind of yeah uh, it, it's a scene but it's kind of to me this is based on my quick research and as as we sometimes like to stress we we try to learn as much about these games as as, as we can we are players of them but we're not going to necessarily know as much as the hardest core of the hardest core because we talk about loads of games we're not obsessed with with one or two as i understand it there seem to be two kind of main serious tetris scenes so you've got the classic tetris world championship um, and there's a guy called Jonas Neubauer, who is uh, a multiple winner of this. He's He's been dethroned, I think, once or twice in the last six or seven years. Uh, but he is uh, at NES Tetris. He is a master. He can do a max out, which is basically inhuman levels of play on Nintendo Entertainment System Tetris. Uh, these world championships uh, have been going since 2010. Uh, there's also a guy called Harry Hong who has won it once in, in 2014. He's runner runner up a couple of times. He's also uh, Harry Hong. There's a great video of him out there setting a new world record for score. Now, the original NES Tetris cartridge can only score up to 999999 before it clocks. However, with the use of a game genie code, you can persuade it to go higher. And Harry Hong has scored 1.2 million points, which is uh, and, and then some. So uh, that's a video worth seeking out. So if any of you indulged in this is we're just talking classic Nest Tetris at this point before we go on to Grandmaster. Have any of you looked at any of these high level uh, NES Tetris videos and, and what does it make you think and feel? <laughs> I came across one of these uh, competitions on youtube about six months ago maybe five months ago yeah. um because i've got quite a diverse search on my youtube i get some strange game related yes, videos coming way. up um and i think this was like the next one to come up or something and i clicked it and i wondered what it was and it was four people so it was the finals of classic nez tetris right. um and it was bizarre and I wouldn't say it was as interesting as what we're going to talk about, mm. but it was definitely a high level of skill. And the the player best of three, I believe it is, um, is, is their is their method for for scoring against each other. Okay, and so they're but they're they're not playing quick. verses, are they? Because there is no verses in that game. They're playing no, the, the play the playing numbers, numbers yeah. um, and the playing rounds. It's kind of, it was kind of strange this one that I watched in that regard. So they would they would score and then whoever scored and then you'd have to score higher than them. Right, two out of three. The format may have and may have evolved over time as this has been going seven years now. I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah. And it was it was kind of interesting to watch. I couldn't tell you what year it was, um, as was just the case. I just happened to click on it and I, I wasn't aware that we'd we'd discuss that because I knew we would be discussing the Grandmaster. Yeah. But this this it was it was interesting absolutely to see that game still being played in comp, uh, competitive play. 
Yep, still going. I think the prize, I was looking at um, an esports earnings site and uh, Jonas Neubauer, I, I, like, I don't know how up to date or accurate it is, but it seems that up until from 2010 to 2014, there was no prize money. But in 2015, it was five hundred dollars and in 2016 it was a thousand dollars so obviously with the the twitch era you know and and, and streaming all that um i'm pretty sure he was it. one of the competitors that i saw yeah because as yeah. soon as you mentioned his name it rang a bell yeah yes uh and there's uh, you know the same names keep uh, cropping up in the top three there's uh, ellie or eli markstrom as well there's a short documentary video um following him as he kind of enters the tournament as well uh what it's like to be a tetris master so seek that out on youtube um and there's also a, an article on rolling stone with the world's greatest uh tetris player jonas neubauer um but that's just one half of the story that's the nes guys meanwhile over at the grandmaster so uh bit of background on this uh carl you mentioned the playing the original grandmaster from 98 or thereabouts yes on uh main it was a coin-op only not even sure which regions or territories it came to uh, but it's by the curious thing about it is it's by arika which is a company which was set up by akira nishitani or ninnin who you will know from ninnin hall the Street Fighter to uh, backdrop. He was one of the main people behind the original, the original Street Fighter Two, which is always a bit of an oxymoron. Um, and obviously, they split off from Capcom, but they made Street Fighter EX and that series of polygon Street Fighters for Capcom. Uh, but in the late nineties, they turned their hands to this Tetris game, and that game is still the first one is still played to a, a ridiculously high level. But it was too easy for them. Yeah, so Tetris, the Grandmaster, was first, then the Grandmaster 2 and Grandmaster 2 Plus. But uh, Tetris, the Grandmaster 3, uh, came because uh, they still weren't happy with how how uh, how easily they could beat this game. And, and when you watch them playing it, you'll think that's absurd. Uh, it was also uh, possibly, is there a Grandmaster 2015? No, it didn't really uh, happen. But they And, oh, they lost the Tetris license. Okay. And there was going to be a four, but it got canned so yeah the grandmaster 3 is a game that basically i yearn i crave i want to play but although there is an xbox 360 version it's region locked uh i don't know if it came out in america it obviously came out in japan um it uh yeah with with xbox 360 region locking being what it is you couldn't easily play it um and be online or anything like that so uh emulation coin up emulation is is probably the way to go i should investigate and being online is a big part of it as well isn't it with the worldwide leaderboards and ranking systems so i mean i've watched a lot of uh, a lot of this not as much as as i'd I'd want to because i find actually watching these players play this grandmaster series particularly the later incarnations at a high level completely mesmerizing it's hard to explain without actually watching it just what the levels of anticipation and execution are i I first stumbled across a video of this in about 2010 um there's a video called tetris god in all capitals not to be confused with the sketch by college humor which is also called tetris god this is guinness world record and it's a close-up of a a guy in an arcade playing grandmaster um and setting a world record and it's also got a camera on his hands so you can see his hand movements it's quite fuzzy it's quite low res because it's from a few years ago 
but it was mesmerizing. And the thing that particularly blew my mind was he got to the end of the you know the run, the the Grandmaster run. Um, there there are various modes as you'd expect, but this this thing they're all trying to achieve, and I believe at the time of recording, six people in the world have ever achieved Grandmaster ranking. So, I think it might be seven or eight now. Okay. Um, and I believe Kevin DDR, who he's we'll, one of the we'll six, no discuss, I think. But um, yeah. I, I think he was added on, or one of the commentators from his 2016 run okay. we're discussing. Now that there's a seventh or an eighth, perhaps. Right. But there's definitely less than less 10. than ten human beings. So the thing is, as well as uh, getting to level uh, 999, so speed tops out at 500, but then it keeps on doing stuff i'm not sure exactly what the difference is as the level but the levels are going up like piece by piece at this point um they appear at the top of the screen and then the player slams them down before you can see them basically so it's hard it's hard drop hard drop you can see they're doing the infinite spin or easy spin but they are their hands are you know a blur but as with fighting game players and this is by arika who made the street fighter x games uh, they are accurate in their execution to to say the least. So when they get to the end of this run, nine, speed 999, the credits roll. But it's it's not game over yet. Oh, no. As the credits roll, to get Grandmaster, you have to keep playing. But now all the pieces are invisible. Uh, not the pieces at the top. The piece that you, you're in play is not invisible. But it might as well be because they slam it down so fast onto the stack that uh, it becomes invisible straight away. Now, what's interesting is the, the one thing I was going to say about Tetris DS was that I, I had that and I played it quite a bit. But it eventually ended up being pretty much my girlfriend's cartridge. She was uh, she got well into it. It was like glued into her DS slot. She played it a lot of evenings for a lot of time. And she got competent online at versus play, holding her own against Japanese Tetris players. And, you know, this is probably the proudest moment <laughs> of my life. Uh, no, not really. But it was it was very, very cool. I felt I felt very proud and. You can't really watch someone play DS Tetris very easily, but um, but I you know I, I managed to uh, managed to get a little look and see that she you know Tanya is infinitely better at Tetris than I could ever possibly be. <laughs> she slams those pieces into place before I've even registered what the next piece is coming. And I, I was talking to her today about doing this show, and I said, "So, do you think?" You know, you know those Grandmaster games I've mentioned. Do you think if you got to the bit where it's that fast and invisible, do you think you could? Do you think you could do that? She said, "Yeah." It's like it's not impossible. So it, it's clearly something you know, something you can work. She, you know, she said obviously if I was playing every day, if I was practicing. So it's not. It's perhaps not as superhuman as it actually. It's one of those things like. Um, people playing pop and pop or, or or one of those games and you and you're watching it and you're thinking well that's physically impossible but their muscle memory is so is yeah. so strong and and their understanding of the sequence and what they're trying to do but but yeah it anyway yeah i find it genuinely astonishing you know some people would think what a what a waste of life or whatever but it's like being elite at anything it's um it's as much about the you know bettering yourself and the journey and some of these people are actually making a living at it and uh and it's in, it's as much skill as as playing you know like con- concert piano or something like that and um yeah so and it's about being consistent as well isn't it because course, the, yeah. if you if you're going for the grandmaster ranking um it's a case of consistently performing well and poor performances detract 
So to actually get yeah. up there, you've got to be able to do it many, many times. I mean, we've seen the Invisible Clear twice, I think, at GDQ now, yeah. um, which is quite impressive to be able to do it on that stage under and that level of pressure. And talking while they're doing it as well, which is and unbelievable, talking. just like I mean, chatting away, commentating on themselves. Unbelievable. Yeah, they, they, all, they usually bring the commentator in yes, um, yes. because when it gets yeah, a little tight, and normally people get a bit funny about the players asking for quiet and stuff. But I think in this instance, you can kind of understand it when it goes invisible. But this is when it comes to, I believe it was 2014 GDQ. Mm. And people have, uh, I I wouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people are impressed by speedruns of many different games. It's become quite successful with AGDQ and SGDQ and the many speedruns online. And we've discussed them countless times on various episodes of this podcast. But in 2014, they had a Tetris run that no one was sort of really talking about mm-hmm. in the circles, and it stole the show. I mean, it was all over Kotaku and yeah. the various other major outlets that drew the attention to Kevin DDR, the player, um, playing. I think he's the only Western Grandmaster. Right, yes. And um, he, of him just playing this game, which was stunning uh there were other showcases of skill there was a a a master tetris player who created a picture pattern of square gaps (laughs) all the way diagonally from the bottom left to the right wall and back to the top left (laughs) yeah just knowing how to do it and looking for patterns um and their ability to see pattern recognition is just breathtaking um, so Tetris, obviously, having sold so many units, has also spun off into a whole load of other things. Uh, we won't talk about uh, Russian-American relations uh, com- now compared to then, because obviously things have changed quite a bit. Uh, right now, it's a sensitive st- topic, but back then, Tetris was the first piece of entertainment software to ever be exported from the Soviet Union to the USA. Obviously, we were actually in, we were still in the Cold War. Nuclear tensions were high in 1984. So this was something towards the spirit of uh, Glasnost and Perestroika uh, in terms of uh, the Iron Curtain opening up. Um, The first kind of major bit of Tetris merch that I remember was a god-awful novelty record called Tetris by Dr. Spin, uh, which was a pseudonym of the very famous uh, musical writer producer andrew lloyd webber and uh, record producer nigel wright uh, this was three years after game boy tetris originally came out but only i think it was 1990 in the uk so the single was 92 so um tetris fever was still in full effect it is a yeah it's a horrendous cheesy dance floor filler um from very much of its time but an interesting cultural artifact uh making an already rich pair of men even richer uh, the uh, the game significance in Russian cultural history was uh, illustrated in uh, Sochi 2014, the Paralympics, when Tetris blocks were used to spell out the word impossible. Uh, as I say, there are various uh, sketches and videos. Um, some some I like, some I don't like. Um, there's a uh, there's one by the uh, notorious French prankster Remy Gaillard, uh, which is just him getting in the way of people dressed as Tetris bricks. Um, there's uh, there's a, a Japanese sketch as well, which sort of plays around with the mechanics and conventions of the game. It's for kids. Um, the largest ever game of Tetris was held on a Philadelphia skyscraper uh, back in 2014, uh, designed by Frank Lee. You could actually play it uh, with joysticks on a 29-storey building, the Philadelphia Sierra Center. Is that right? 
Yeah. I uh, I work about one subway stop away from that, so oh, yeah, it's, cool. I'm, I'm quite close. I, I was not there at the time, but uh, yeah, that's I'm, I'm familiar with the area. <laughs> the smallest ever version of Tetris was played with an electron microscope using 42 glass microspheres at the Department of Physics of Complex Systems in Amsterdam. Uh, you can, of course, play versions of Tetris in Excel. Uh, I remember this going a long way back, even when Excel was, you know, quite a quite a simple, clunky thing. Yeah. People had worked out how to code uh, somehow. God knows how. Um, obviously, as, te- as Excel has become more flexible, it's now much easier to make things like this in. Well, I say easier. Not I couldn't do it, but you know what I mean. Um, there's working Tetris in Minecraft. Uh, and in Little Big Planet 2 and Little Big Planet 3. And of course, you can buy a board game, a Jenga, lamps, mugs, clothes, soft furnishings, etc., etc., etc. Stuff with Tetris on. You, I'm sure there are many Tetris tattoos out there, piercings, jewelry, God knows, whatever else. So, yes, culturally significant um, and also significant to many of our followers and listeners. And we have some three word reviews to that effect. Follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rince. So, Glenn Watts says, Tengen versus Nintendo. Dave Salad said, tedious, but amazing. Jacob says, eyes glazed over. K-Sub-Zero 1000, presumably referring to one of the versions that doesn't have leaderboards. Could use leaderboards. <laughs> Peter Cleves says, best packing teacher. Patrick Smith said, delivery van training. Jim A says, need a long. Neil Hurd says, ugh, a Z or a Z. John Solomon says... T-spin triple. Steve Norman said, invaded my dreams. Deputy says, gaming's platonic ideal. Mm, intellectual three-word reviews. Ben Monroe says, breaking social barriers. The King Rocker says, adults love it. Alan Wilkinson, communism creates a cash cow. We just let it in because it's good. It's <laughs> cheat, though. Uh, the Tige, block slotting treat. Craigity Craig. One more go. Sean Lucerio says, Puzzle Gaming's Zenith. That's uh, that's dangerously close to best game ever, but I'm going to let it go because he used interesting wording. Uh, right. So, wow, that was a lot of Tetris, but let's see if we can summarise our thoughts on it. And perhaps uh, if there's a version that we could recommend people actually seek out, because it, it, I guess one thing we've learned here is that for for every minute of conversation we had talking about why people call tetris perfect is that there's probably a version of tetris which isn't really worth playing so um, <laughs> uh yeah josh sum up tetris go <laughs> <laughs> um i think there are so many good versions of tetris but i think if you're interested in your history i think it is worth kind of seeking out the original versions of it so um on the electronica 60 on the electronica 60 (laughs) yes i I do uh, i was uh, yeah i did mean that um but also (laughs) um like there are there are emulations that you can find of the the nes version and the the game boy version that i think are worth experiencing just to you know gain that cultural context but for me like my favorite version that i've played is the ds version um i haven't played poyo poyo um tetris but i hear that's pretty good as well so i might try that out uh, once this podcast is finished carl tetris is a juggernaut 
um, in regards to its recognition and its relevance uh, and cer- certainly its cultural significance. I always equated it as the digital version of the Rubik's Cube mm. in how it's so immediately recognisable to generations of people, even if they're not into that medium. Um, and the only thing I've seen come close to Tetris in recent times would be Minecraft in terms of how it's culturally significant it's become. Mm. And it's still incredibly playable. And I think that's why people are so fond of it. That's perhaps why you see Perfect thrown around so often. Conceptually, it might be in its delivery. There's certainly different versions um, to try. One will almost certainly click with you if you're into puzzle games. Don't try the uh, Ultimate Edition. Um, It's just the ultimately disappointing version of Tetris. It's an absolute shambles. And I think my love affair with Tetris was reignited by the speedruns that we talked about, realising how much more there is to the franchise, how much more there are to playing Tetris, the styles. What a Tetris actually is um, was never something I was aware of until probably four or five years ago, which is a Tetris is matching four lines at the same That's time. That's interesting because uh, although it's been a lot longer for me, it was several years into Tetris playing that I realised that that's what a Tetris or was told that was what yeah. Tetris was yeah it's it's four line clear yeah. and and realising that things like the Grandmaster how in depth they go to how a game can be scored because I always assumed that I knew four lines would score more than one line but when you're looking at the changes that have been made to something like the Grandmaster where you can only get to high levels by uh, scoring a set number of Tetrises under the time that your previous clearance level was so you can only get to level 999 by being quicker and there's no timer so you're you've got to be mentally aware of it and realizing that the depth of tetris goes far beyond simple one line clears which is what i was doing when i was what six years old seven years old and seeing (laughs) and seeing how the game has developed over the time i'm 33 now and i'm still finding things fascinating about a game that is at its basis so simplistic and i think that is what makes something like tetris so great and it would i recommend anyone play it absolutely play tetris play the game boy version the nes version go play the grandmaster on mame there are many great releases that we've talked about here and all of them are as relevant now as they were then by a pcb like i'm considering right now the grandmaster 3 uh yeah (laughs) leah I think that it's exceptionally rare to come across a game that, if it were made for the first time today, would feel, would still feel like a game that is modern and that doesn't feel dated in its basic mechanics. I'm not going to say this is the only one, but it's rare. Uh, If something that was made 30 years ago, it's going to show its age eventually. Uh, It just, it seems like it would almost have to. But this, at its core, is so basic and so, there are so, there are so few moving parts. No, 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 no. (laughs) Plenty of other people (laughs) have said that. (laughs) There are so few moving parts, and I don't mean that as in things that move, but as in elements that go into making it, that 
you can really see how individual companies and individual developers have drilled down on each of those parts and, you know, added here and there. Uh, but, but as we talked about earlier, haven't really taken anything away that it still feels fresh and it still feels like something that isn't old and that isn't boring because you've seen it so many times before. Even if you have seen it so many times before, there's still a lot to do and there's still a lot to keep you coming back to it. So I would absolutely recommend uh, playing Tetris. Maybe skip the Ultimate Edition, but um, if you can find in any form a, uh, a copy of the uh, original Game Boy version, I think that's probably my favorite still. Uh, but um, many versions are going to have something good about them. So maybe, I, maybe it's possible that somebody likes something I don't. I think I'm going to try and find a copy of Tetris Splash now because I'm interested in fish. <laughs> I'm not sure how good the fish look in, in 2017. This is a, a 2007, it's probably 720p, you know, so if, if you want some barely animated 720p fish, uh, yeah, well, they're, they're, they're really? only like, they're only like um, 50 cents or, or up to $2 a, a piece. So yeah, it's probably about the, the price of a real fish. I don't know. How much do fish cost? No, they're probably more expensive I, than that. I don't know. <laughs> this is the most random Tetris wrap up ever. <laughs> uh, so yeah, how do I summarize Tetris? Well, I've been playing Tetris on and off. Um, sometimes intensively, most of the time not so intensively, for pretty much exactly 30 years at this point. And I was considering earlier when we were mulling over having the perfect game conversation, like, have I ever been bored of Tetris? If it's a perfect game, can I? Is it possible to be bored of a perfect game? All this sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I'd say there were moments where, as a very mediocre Tetris player, there comes a point where you're like, oh, I've lost at exactly the same point again. I've been game over at speed, whatever, because I am not fast enough and I don't understand the patterns well enough. One of the things that's really interesting about watching those high level play videos is that these guys are really happy to talk about the what they consider to be the pros and cons of, of the different versions. And Obviously, because it's a scene and it's a hardcore scene, there are lots of very strident opinions and you will hear, you you know, you will be told you are wrong for playing a certain version, that sort of thing. But if you can get past that, there's some real interesting nuggets of information and they will drill down into that stuff that we've kind of touched upon, but we're not, none of us are, you know, at the level of understanding of Tetris, although we, you know, we all consider ourselves reasonable um, at describing what we like and don't like about video games but to know a game that well uh, to know every little detail every bit of minutiae is i think is relevant so definitely watch some of those seek some of those grandmaster videos out and some of the cl classic net uh, ness tetris world championship stuff um right now as you can't download officially virtual console tetris is um, yeah, emulation is definitely a way to go with that stuff. But as I say, there's a free there's a free version. It's in Flash. I don't actually know how good it is. It's probably okay. But if you've never played Tetris, at least play one game of Flash free Flash Tetris. Um, but if you fancy buying a cool video game with a nice big chunky Tetris component in it, I would recommend right now Puyo Puyo Tetris. This is not to say that we will never do a Puyo Puyo video uh, video game series show because that's a cool series too. Um, yeah, and well, you've probably played Tetris, but I hope this podcast has been, yeah, something something of a whistle stop tour, but but of some interest to you. And um, yeah, I recommend Tetris. Obviously, it's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Um, blocks, just blocks. 
So, it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh, Cart and Leah, as well as our correspondents, editor Sean, all of you for listening. Remember, if you've enjoyed this and our other podcasts, please do consider heading to the Patreon, Cane and Rinse Patreon, patreon.com slash Cane and Rinse, and donating the minimum, or more if you prefer, of a dollar per month. And if enough of you do that, we could double the amount of Cane and Rinse shows in the future. Consider it to do. Uh, next time, in issue 271, we'll be covering the Double Dragon series, Vintage Years. 